Welcome to Stories of COVID, the interview project that explores what it's like to experience a global pandemic. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. It is scary and it's very real, but it's not hopeless. As I said, I changed three planes. None of them were wearing any gloves or masks. I've never seen so much support for freelancers or artists in the in the media um, as I have now. They both laid me off from just the advent of the, the outbreak. I'm anthropologist and author Veronica Kieran, and I am building an interview archive of stories and anecdotes that define this time in history to write a book preserving this experience for future generations. If you'd like to help preserve this moment in history for future generations, check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Chris Burvey lives in Mount Pearl, Newfoundland, Canada. He lives in an island community with approximately one week's of supply of food and limited health care. This meant that when COVID-19 came, the community needed to take extreme precautions to make sure that it did not get out of hand for its citizens. In this interview, Chris explains the precautions they took, as well as his fear when initially his mom and dad were on a Florida cruise and a virus broke out. I'm going to say I start, you know, I started to hear about it in the mass media, you know, it would have been probably January, uh, early January, but I, I mean, I'm not a real big consumer of news. I would just see headlines about it. It, it came closer to me when my mom and dad in mid-February were on a cruise. Uh, they cruised out of Florida and uh, the ship itself uh, came down with a massive uh, 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 Norwalk virus. And uh, they ended up having to come in and, and um, uh, disembark uh, four or five days before the 14-day cruise was going to end. And I guess the ignorance the ignorance of us, when I say ignorance, a lack of knowledge, the, the, the belief of some of us, our family was, oh my God, is this the coronavirus? And uh, so mom and dad came home safe and sound a week or so later, and my mom was adamant. They, they never had coronavirus, you know, and so she was not wanting to be associated with the coronavirus. So it was, it became more real, I guess, around that, you know, uh, but anyway, so that's, that's, that's when it became more real for me, for sure. So what ended up happening is in late February, the last week of February, my wife and I, along with our two really close friends, uh, had a vacation plan to go from where we live in Newfoundland to Los Angeles uh, for uh, six or seven days. And, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't really uh, all that tuned into the pos any possibility we could come in contact with coronavirus. We just saw it as something that's happening over there, uh, overseas, you know? And uh, however, um, so we went down to LA, we were tourists. Uh, this is the first week of March. And because we were tourists, we weren't really paying much attention to any news. Uh, but when we got on the plane to come home, um, started to notice that people were wiping down their armrests and, and their tabletops and so on on the plane. And it was when I got home on a Saturday, I'm going to say March the 6th or 7th, uh, I got on the internet, uh, uh, you know, to kind of catch up on the news and so on. And I, I, I just said, oh my God, this is huge. Uh, and I started to realize the 
the possible virality effect of a pandemic or of a of a virus without um, any cure and what that could mean to me, my family, my business, my friends, and my province where I live, and so on. So it's had a huge it has had a huge effect uh, across the board for sure. I'm actually quite proud of A, uh, how our country has reacted, and B, uh, how our province has reacted. So uh, for context, Newfoundland is a, uh, an island, and we're, we're stuck in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, we have only a one week, roughly, food supply on the island, so we're very highly dependent on food getting in and out of the province. Um, you know, so around that March the 8th, March the 10th uh, time frame, Justin Trudeau, our, our Prime Minister of Canada, began doing daily uh, uh, briefs. Uh, and it became extremely real when the, when the news reported that his wife con had, had come down with coronavirus. Uh, so he automatically began working from home and doing all his sort of daily news briefs um, in, in his home, right? Uh, outside of his home and so on. So it, it gave a lot of texture, a lot of context. Um, and then our provincial government, because of this, this situation where we're an island, limited food supply, we've also got a limited uh, healthcare system where, you know, it, it's not limited on a normal basis, but it's limited if a population of 500,000 people, if something like a virus, like, like coronavirus was to take off, uh, you know, we only have 52 ICU beds. So, uh, you know, uh, there's massive logistical issues to deal with and, and, a, and, a, and its impact on a province like Newfoundland um, could be monumental. So, um, yeah, so that, you know, basically they jumped on it. They had to jump on it as a government and they were very strict and, and uh, right out of the gate and put in place, you know, businesses shut down, um, only essential services were allowed to be open. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it was a ghost town for the first week or two until people kind of got a sense of, okay, I'm able to go out for a drive with my family uh, and get out of the house. So things started to kind of, a little bit of a new normal, and I know that's a very overused term, but a, a little bit of a new normal started to formulate and you started to see uh, the community kind of coming alive uh, in, its, in a new way. The government has came out with these multi-phases. So we in, in Newfoundland, it's an interesting story that, to tell. Uh, coronavirus came to Newfoundland from, a, from, a, from an, uh, a resident of Newfoundland who went to Florida. And they came home from Florida with the coronavirus and they went to a funeral. They went to a funeral and at that funeral, 27 or 28 people contracted coronavirus from that one person that brought it into the province. And that, you know, so we've had a total of 260 cases, which is a very small number for a population. So, so it, but I guess it, there's a couple of pieces to that puzzle. There's one, it came in, two, it spread very quickly, but immediately the government clamped down and and did this tracing of how of all the people that came down with it and who they touched and it was all that back tracing along with the measures of having to stay in uh, and, and isolation and so on that uh, we had an ama a very swift decline in in the percentage of cases uh, and to the point now we only have four active cases in the province 
and the three of them are in hospital. So uh, what's happened now is they've come out with these stages where uh, we're in stage one right now. Or actually, I think it's stage five and they work down uh, stage five. And so what's happened now is uh, some businesses have been allowed to reopen. They've allowed golf courses to open. Uh, they've allowed a few social uh, kind of things to open, but still major restrictions on group sizes. Stay, you're allowed to link, like our family bubble is allowed to link up with one other family bubble, uh, but that's it, right? We are not allowed to extend outside of that one bubble to, the, to one other bubble. I'm an entrepreneur, uh, so, I mean, it had an immediate effect in that I, uh, you know, a lot of my clients are local clients and I drive around uh, quite a bit from one meeting to the next. And so that came to a screeching halt. Uh, however, uh, most of my clients are professional service providers with whose businesses continued to continued to move on. Um, so I just moved virtual, virtual, right? Uh, so but I, you know, I did have a sort of a hit to my revenue, but what I'll say is the entrepreneurial spark in me kind of clicked in pretty quick and I started to see opportunities. Uh, so I'm right back to where I was. And as a matter of fact, I think I actually believe I'm going to be a stronger business as a result. The other thing that it did because of the lack of driving around and kind of scurrying and busy work that, uh, that I was doing and the fact that went away, uh, it created the white space in my life to kind of look at what I was doing that I loved and what I was doing that I didn't love. And it's kind of given me an opportunity. That white space has given me an opportunity to just find ways to do more of what I love. I think the future is really bright. When I went into my business, I didn't want it to be one-to-one -one as much, right? So one me working with one client, I had a vision for doing a one-to-many strategy. Uh, but because I got so busy, uh, I lost sight of that one-to-many strategy. So this, uh, this COVID uh, experience has given me the white space to get back to the one-to-many. So I'm in the process now of working with a marketing consultant, and we're gonna, I'm going to launch a, a, a quote-unquote program uh, to um, uh, a cohort of people, and I'm excited about that. So, I mean, I've leveraged Zoom as a means to communicate, and I do feel... I do feel Zoom is, or Google Meet or whatever is a better platform than, say, the telephone because we, we live through our senses. So by engaging in a video, uh, you engage your auditory, you engage your visual and so on. So if, if you have a better opportunity to create richer, deeper conversations and relationships. So embracing that's been very important. Leveraging a learning management platform has been very, very important for me. And it's going to be even more important now as I go into my one-to-many strategy. You know, webinars, what, a, big, a big thing I've been preaching is uh, this is a great opportunity to virtualize our sales process uh, and our business processes. So I've been really harping with my clients and the people I've, I've been communicating with uh, that we need to embrace this as an opportunity because like, I, I had a client, I have a client, who up until COVID was spending two and three times two and three times a week flying to other provinces because she felt her sales process she had to be face to face skin on skin. This what this has proved is that because her business has actually grown by ten or fifteen percent during COVID, this has proven it's given her the ammunition that she needs. That you know what that was a lot of just busy talk and and more of a. Um, you know, I, she, she created this belief in her mind that she needed to be face to face. 
The other thing that I'll say is that I felt I jumped on the bandwagon uh, with this idea of contribution marketing. You know, a lot of the companies stopped marketing during COVID. Uh, I don't know. I think I don't think this, the idea of stopping marketing is what we should do. I think it's we should just shift the message a little bit uh, from being a push uh, approach here buy my product. This is my product. This is all the features. This is why it's great. You should buy it message to, you know, we've built this product and this is what it's this is what it's for. This is how it can improve your life. Uh, we are subject matter experts in this topic. Please come and join us. We are creating a community because of people just like you that can come and learn from each other. And guess what? You may decide you want to buy our product. And if you do, we're here for you. And so that's the idea of contribution marketing. And, and I mean, there's lots of great examples of companies that jumped on the webinar platform uh, idea that they can educate. So it's their contribution that leads to uh, people buying. Yeah, no, I have a, I have a 19 year old son, uh, Parker, and a, a 17 year old uh, daughter uh, who will actually be 17 in one month from today. She's 16 right now. Uh, daughter Anna Lily. Parker is going to college uh, and he's studying trade, so hands-on stuff. Uh, but they so they they moved the theory virtual. Uh, with so, but he's got to at some point he's got to get the practical application within the trade. So that's going to have to come. Uh, my daughter goes to a school that embraced online learning uh, within days of schools shutting shutting their doors. Uh, so she, you know, um, you know, a little bit of a it's been a little bit of a hassle because my daughter, in the midst of this, she decided to use this as an opportunity to break into the workforce. And she got she got hired by a local grocery store, uh, and uh, they've had a shortage of workers, so they've been firing full time hours at my daughter. Uh, so she's had a bit of she's had a bit of struggle balancing between uh, uh, you know the online learning piece and and the work opportunity. Yeah, my son works at the local gas station, but they have they've got all the measures in place uh, to uh, they've got all the measures in place to keep the, the workers. My wife, who had been te a teacher, a grade two teacher for 21 years, uh, she, at the ripe old age of 45, decided in December to quote unquote retire. Uh, and she she retired because she wanted the maybe the last half or the second half of her adult life uh, to find something different and find new ways to create impact and uh, and so on. So she finished in December and then this pandemic kind of, and, and you know, you can imagine January, February is a bit of a honeymoon, right? And all of a sudden the pandemic hits, you know? Uh, so uh, it's been a trying time uh, within our family because she's trying to adjust uh, to not really having anything outside of the family and the home to do my vision would be and would be that maybe there's a role within my one-to-many strategy where she could become my quote-unquote director of operations or the business's director of operations it's extremely important to protect our mental health during these times especially if you're not working because it's so easy to fall into a trap of you used to get up at 6.30 and then you're starting to get up at 7.30 and that 7.30 becomes 8.30 and then the 8.30 becomes 9.30. Uh, it's so easy for that to happen when you don't have something motivating you to put one foot in front of the other, right? So we got to be very protective. You know, in January, there was a lot of us as 
as entrepreneurs, we, we, we picked goals for ourselves, right? January 1st is our time to pick goals. And then COVID comes along and, and, and really unearths a, uh, uh, you know, it creates a lot of turmoil in our lives, you know? And the first thing that we do is we likely forget about the goals we set in January because all of a sudden they're not realistic, but it doesn't, it doesn't uh, remove the need for us to have a goal. And it's not, and it doesn't have to be a goal, it can be a vision, it can be an ideal, uh, because it's a vision that's really juicy and exciting that creates the self-motivation that gets us out of bed and gets us moving forward, right? So I guess what I would encourage anyone listening uh, uh, is we, we, we still should try to maintain some degree of a vision for what we want our future to look like, because it's what's, it's what's gonna get us through uh, the pandemic. Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well.